Amen. Amen. Then you can go ahead and be seated, church. Just want to say it's good to be back with you all. Thanks for allowing Sarah and I to have a bit of time off. Uh, we had a great time uh, with Thanksgiving, just spending time with family, staying up too late, eating too much food. Uh, last week, Jeremy was talking about the gains. We definitely had our fair share of Thanksgiving gains. Uh, the kids had a blast uh, with all their cousins. Uh, we were also able to spend uh, the weekend with Emmanuel Baptist Church up in Connecticut. Uh, their pastor, Carrie Schmidt, and really their whole church family was such an encouragement to us. Uh, they've actually gone through some similar circumstances that we're currently walking through. And it was so neat just to see uh, what God was doing over there and how God had gotten that church family through that. And it made us excited for the healing work that God was doing here, that is going to continue doing here. And we also wanted to say thank you so much for the generous gifts that you guys gave us two weeks ago. Uh, you guys spoiled us. You showed us how loved we are. And it was such a blessing. It meant the world to us. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to have favorites, but there was this beard kit that was in there. That was pretty fantastic. So if the sermon is extra spicy this morning, it might be the Holy Spirit. It might just be this awesome beard product. Beard, not beer, beard product. Whoo, disqualifying myself two months in. All right. Coming back to church is such a delight because you guys are our family. Oh, boy. I'm also excited to continue working through Philippians 3 this morning. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12, 13, and 14 this morning. Verses 12, 13, and 14. Uh, like many passages that we've looked at as we've worked through Philippians, these verses are very well known. These are going to be verses that we're all very familiar with if you've spent any length of time in the church. And what I love about these verses is that they give us a forward call. These verses remind us that the Christian life is not a sedentary one. It is a forward-moving one. And so let's do this. Let's read all of chapter number 3 so that we can see these verses in their context, and then we'll study them this morning. Philippians chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcisions, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, Boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Verse 12 says, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ 
Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the examples you have in us. For I have often told you, and I now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They're focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. And let's end with 4.1. So then, my dearly beloved and long-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Let's pray, then we will jump into our study this morning. Father, I pray that your spirit would anoint the preaching of your word this morning. And I don't mean that in a way that, I don't, I don't want my sermon to be a performance that people just think, oh, that was a good sermon. Lord, I pray that your spirit would anoint your word and that your word would be good news to those that are poor in spirit. I pray that you would anoint your preached word to be healing for the brokenhearted, to be liberty for the captive, freedom for the prisoners. Lord, I think of Psalm 1 that says, those that meditate in your word will be like trees planted by rivers of water. Lord, I pray that your word being preached this morning would, like Isaiah 61, 3 says, help us to be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. I pray that you would give us eyes to see wondrous things from your word. Give us ears to hear and understand your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. Before we get started, I do want to say we do have these Christmas Eve invite cards over at guest services. Uh, every year here we have a special Christmas Eve service, and it's always uh, a favorite for many of us. It's one of my favorite services that we have around here. And this year we're going to do it up a little bit. It's going to be really special. So let me encourage you to invite your friends. We're going to be giving a very clear gospel presentation. The music will encourage your heart. As is our tradition, we'll also be partaking in the Lord's table that day. So let me encourage you to grab some of these on your way out. We have plenty for everybody to invite your friends with. So grab some of these on your way out. And then be sure to invite your friends to our Christmas Eve service. And then be praying that God would bless that service and that people would come to faith in Christ as they see and sing and hear the good news that Jesus really is the reason for the season. But let's jump into our study this morning. Have you ever noticed how human nature craves security? While we were in Connecticut, we took an afternoon and we went and visited New York City. And I've got to be honest with you, at first I was not looking forward to it. You know the line from Hamilton, it's the greatest city in the world. I was like, ah, I don't think so. You know, I was not looking forward to it. The idea of being in a big city that I wasn't familiar with just sounded very overwhelming. My introverted personality felt so uneasy. But when my wife found out, we're just a short train right away. She's like, we've got to go to New York. So as a good husband, I said, okay, I, we, we, we will go. But I was nervous. I wasn't looking forward to it. Introvert Nick was like, I don't think I'll die, but I'm pretty sure that I will. 
Um, no, I don't know about you guys, but when I feel uncomfortable like that, when I'm in a strange place and I feel uneasy, that usually manifests itself um, by me being grumpy. And that has led to many less than desirable memories for my wife and I. Uh, but before we went, we sat down with Pastor Kerry Schmidt, and he asked us, what do you guys want to do? So we told him all the things we wanted to go see. And he literally pulled up a map on his iPad, and he just mapped our, a whole route out for us. He had been several times. He's like, I'm a pro. I know exactly where to go. And he gave us a map that allowed us to really have a great time. We went, and it was such a smooth trip. We had no complications. None of it was overwhelming. We were really able to enjoy the city. We weren't overwhelmed about what to do or where to go. The plan that he gave us provided us the security that we needed in order to have a great time. And Paul is making a similar point here in verse number 12, which leads us to our first thought this morning, and that is our security in Christ is what drives our Christian walk. Look at verse number 12 again. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it. He's saying, I'm striving. I'm doing everything I can to be like Jesus, to reach the goal of knowing Jesus because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, in the previous verses, Paul talked about the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Last week, Jeremy did a great job unpacking these verses for us and showed us how Christ passes far and above any of the gains that this world can offer us. In verse 10, Paul tells us that his goal is to know Christ. In verse 12, Paul starts by saying that he hasn't fully reached that goal yet. None of us here this morning can say, I fully know Christ. None of us have reached that goal yet. We, Paul hadn't made it to the resurrection of the dead. He hadn't reached his goal, and he's saying, I, I haven't reached my goal, and I'm, I'm not perfect yet. That word perfect simply means complete. And so what he's saying in verses 11 and 12, because I haven't reached the resurrection of the dead yet, because I'm still alive, Paul's saying, my Christian walk isn't complete. I still have growing to do. I'm not there yet. I haven't reached the goal. I don't fully know Jesus. I'm not fully like Jesus. And so my journey is not yet complete. I still have growing to do. And our Christian walk, our race, it is complete when we see Jesus face to face. That's our end goal that he painted for us in the previous week. But the question is, what do we do in the meantime? Well, we pursue our end goal by pursuing a growing knowledge of Jesus. We don't use the fact that we haven't arrived yet as an excuse for complacency. We've all seen this. Well, I haven't arrived, so I'm just, why try? No, no, no. We passionately pursue growing closer to Jesus. We passionately pursue maturity. We passionately pursue knowing Christ. Paul says that because our journey is not complete, we make every effort to know Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Not everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. He's saying they have a singular focus. They want to win this race that they are running. He says they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. And so the picture that Paul paints for us here in Philippians and in 1 Corinthians is, hey, we are running a race. We are striving. We are making every effort to make it to that finish line, to know Jesus and to be more and more like him to that moment where we receive our glorified bodies and we are fully like him. The picture that we're given throughout the New Testament is that of an athlete who goes to great lengths to train so that they can win their grace. That should be our mindset. We're going to make every effort so that we can reach our goal. We're going to make every effort to know Jesus. There is a passion that drives us as believers to make every effort to know Christ and to make Christ known. 
A Christian who is lazy in his walk with God should be a contradiction in terms. Our passionate pursuit grows out of our security in Christ. Paul says, I can make every effort, not because I have the strength, but because Christ has taken hold of me. Look at verse 12. But I make every effort to take hold of it, to reach that goal. Why? Because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul says very clearly at the end of verse number 12 that his passionate pursuit of Jesus was made possible because he had been taken hold of by Christ, his security in Christ. Paul knew that he was secure in Christ, and because he was secure in Christ, he's like, I can dedicate my entire life to knowing him. I can dedicate my entire life to knowing Jesus and knowing the power of his resurrection and even knowing Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings, even being conformed to his death because Christ had taken hold of Paul. Paul could passionately pursue being like Jesus, and because Christ had taken hold of Paul, Paul wanted to passionately pursue being like Jesus and knowing Jesus. Now, I've heard people ask before, and I'm sure you have too, if I'm secure in Christ, why do I need to pursue being like him? Can I just live like however I want? Like if, if once saved, always saved, if our salvation is secure, why do we have to discipline our bodies? Why do we have to make every effort? Why do we have to passionately pursue? And I think sometimes we get so hung up on the mathematics of eternal security that we miss the chemistry of eternal security. The answer is when a person is genuinely saved, when they are secure in Christ, they want to pursue him. They want to pursue their final inheritance. And so the question is, why do I have to do this? That's not even the right question. That's not how a true believer really thinks. When the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, you want to pursue Jesus. He gives you that desire and he gives you that ability and his Holy Spirit enables you to make every effort to know him. Consider Romans 8, 14 through 17. Paul says, for all, those who, for all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. That's eternal security. You are God's sons. Security. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom you cried, Abba, Father. That's security. You received it. You don't fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption. That is a gift that has been given to you. That is our security. Paul goes on, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Security, promise, guarantees. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Security. And then Paul throws a wrench in it. If, (laughs) indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I don't know about you, but just glancing at that, I'm like, promise after promise of security, and then all of a sudden you you end the statement with an if? Like, Paul, help me out here. What we need to understand is, Paul is not saying our security in Christ is dependent on our walk with God. He's not saying your security in Christ is dependent on if you suffer just right or if you pursue him just right. What he is saying is, if we suffer with him, that is evidence that we are secure in Christ. If you are pursuing Christ, that is evidence that you are secure in him. Because people that are secure in him, believers that are secure in him, want to pursue him. Now, it doesn't mean it's always perfect. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean we don't stumble and sin. Read the book of 1 Corinthians, and you'll see a lot of believers who, whoa, (laughs) they were all kinds of twisted. But the point that Paul is making is, in the life of a believer, there is a consistent pursuit, a consistent desire to be like Christ, because Christ has taken hold of me. I want to strive to take hold of the promise that Christ has given me. Consider also 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. 
But then face to face, then is when we go to see Jesus. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. So we haven't got to the point yet where we fully know Jesus. Paul's like, our, our Christian walk right now, it's like we're looking in a mirror. It's not, a, it's not perfect. But there will be a moment when we do fully know Jesus because he has already fully known us. Right now, we only see Jesus in part, but at the end of our race, when we see him face to face, we will know him fully because he fully knows us. And the point that Paul is driving home here is that because Jesus fully knows us, because Jesus has taken a hold of us, we make every effort to know him more and more and more. This reality that he fully knows us and he has taken a hold of us explodes in our heart and we cannot help but passionately pursue him. We make every effort to reach our goal because this is what we now long for. I mean, think about it. Jesus says, I have taken hold of you. I fully know you and I fully love you. When that reality sinks home into our heart, we can't help but explode with desire for Jesus. Author Kent Hughes calls it the explosion of spiritual longing. I love that. That's what this truth does in our heart, and that's why Paul said, I, I, I make every effort. I'm working hard at this thing. We're going to see later at the end of the sermon, he's like, nobody works harder than I do because this is just so amazing and it's so real, the fact that Christ has taken hold of me. Hebrews 12 gives us another picture of this. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because we are held securely in Christ, we can freely lay aside anything. We can, like Paul, say, I'll know him in the fellowship of his sufferings even. We can freely lay aside everything that hinders us and run with endurance the race that God has put before us. We can keep our eyes on Jesus and follow hard after him because his eyes are on us and the eyes of all who have gone before us are on us too, according to Hebrews 12. Earning is not a good word for Christians because we can't earn acceptance before God, but the word effort is a great word for those of us who have been taken hold of by Christ. We must pursue knowing Christ. Our security in Christ is what drives our Christian walk. Next, we see our walk with Christ requires a singular focus. A singular focus. Look at verses 13 and 14 again. Paul says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. He says, I, I, I haven't got to the end yet. I haven't taken hold of this prize, this call that God has me because I'm still here on earth. I'm still in my earth suit. I'm still walking on this planet, so I haven't taken hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Now, at the beginning of verse 13, Paul again states that he hasn't arrived yet. He's again saying, look, I'm not at the finish line yet, but I have one goal. I have one mission. I have one pursuit, Jesus. My one goal, my one pursuit, my one mission is Jesus because I want to get to that finish line so that I can fully know him. As he pursues knowing Jesus, he says there are some things that I've got to forget and that we've got to forget. Now, I want to go slowly here because sometimes this verse gets thrown at people who are actually in need of healing. 
it's almost as if we don't want to be confronted with the pain in somebody else's past. So we just throw out, well, you know, you need to just forget what's behind and move forward. Um, but that's not the context of what Paul's saying here. It's funny how scriptural context actually ruins some good sermons. There are actually several verses throughout the New Testament that tell us to remember, to remember our past. Consider Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Paul said, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised. So Paul says, remember that at one point you weren't a believer. He goes on and says, at that time you were without Christ. So remember that at one time you were without Christ. Remember your past. Remember where you came from, he's saying. Remember that at one time you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You weren't a citizen of heaven yet. You weren't part of God's body yet. You weren't in God's family yet. Remember that. He goes on to say, remember that at one time you were foreigners to the covenant of promise. Remember that at one time you were without hope and without God. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Luke 7, 47, we see a similar truth. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. So if you find your love for Jesus waning, it might be because you have forgotten how much Jesus forgave you. And so the admonition of Ephesians and Luke is remember your previous condition before Christ so that you can appreciate your salvation more deeply. It's like you need to remember where you were so that you can move forward in a way that honors Christ. It's like a sports team watching the tape of a past game so that they can play better. They're watching that so they know how to adjust, so they know how to make changes so that they can win their next game. Looking at that previous tape isn't living in the past. That's, I'm going to evaluate the past so I can know how to better move forward. We look back, we heal, we process, we evaluate so that we can, so that we can continue to make every effort to pursue Christ. So if you're hurting, if you find yourself in that place where you're like, man, I just feel like life has beat me. If you're hurting, don't simply ignore the problems of your past under the guise of forgetting what's left behind. Take that past hurt and give it to Christ and learn what it means to allow Christ to heal it. That's how you actually move forward. Get a good counselor or therapist who can help you experience the healing of Christ so you can move forward in your pursuit of knowing Jesus more. Hurt has a way of bringing our walk with God to a grinding halt. And if we're going to move forward in our walk with God, like these verses are calling us to, there might be a place, there might be a season of your life where you've got to heal. Where you, you do need to remember, you do need to look back so that you can know how to best move forward. Don't misunderstand this verse and neglect getting the help you need to overcome something in your past. Now I want to flip it for a minute. If there is past hurt, don't live there either. Like there's a temptation to swing the pendulum so far to the other extreme that we allow our past hurt to now become our identity. And that's disobedience to this verse as well. Instead of moving forward in healing, we just want to sit and wallow in our bitterness, and that's not what Paul's calling us to either. So on the one hand, it's not ignore your past so you don't get healing, but on the other hand, it's like don't live in your past either because God wants to call you past that. He wants to call you past your past. He has something better for your future. He's like, you need to pursue knowing me, so don't allow your past hurt to become your identity. There are parts of your past that we are called to remember so that we can move forward 
in our pursuit of Christ, but there are other passages that tell us not to look back. For instance, consider Luke 9, 61 and 62. Jesus says something pretty intense. Somebody, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So what are we supposed to forget and what are, what are we supposed to remember? Well, what Paul is calling us to forget here in these verses, he's calling us to forget the works of the flesh that we're tempted to put our confidence in. We are called to forget anything that would lure us back off the path of obedience. Paul is calling us to forget anything that's going to hinder our walk with God. Hey, if that is something that you're tempted to put your confidence in the flesh, and Paul says, forget it. This is why Luke 17 gives us the following warning. Luke 17, 32 and 33. The Bible says, remember Lot's wife. Familiar with the story of, of Lot and his wife? She turned, turned into a pillar of salt. Luke says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Lot's wife looked back to Sodom as her place of security. She was turning away from her dependence on God, and she wound up turning into a pillar of salt. So that's why it says Luke, remember, Luke encouraged us, remember Lot's wife. We need to forget those earthly things that we might be tempted to look towards for security. Those are the things Paul is calling us to forget. Forget what is going to hinder your dependence on God. Forget what is going to hinder your faith and obedience to God. And this is congruent with all of chapter 3 so far. Paul says at the very beginning of chapter 3 that he doesn't put any confidence in his impressive credentials. He's like, that's not what saves me. That's not what gets me a relationship with God. So that gets no confidence from me. Then in verse 8, he goes even farther and he says he considers them as dung. I mean, that's not a nice mental image, right? Paul is not giving us this sanitized, Christianese picture of what we might be tempted to put our confidence in. Like, this is the stuff you flush and forget because it's repulsive. Paul says that is the mindset we are supposed to have about the things we might be tempted to put our confidence in. Like, this, this, this should dis disgust us. Anything that comes into our life that says, hey, put your confidence in me instead of God. Put your security in me instead of God. Paul says, forget it. Leave it behind. It is repulsive. It's disgusting. It should have no place in our lives. Any talent that might tempt you to trust in yourself and not God, Paul says, forget it. Any credential that might cause you to think you are worthy of knowing Jesus, Paul says, forget it. Any experience that, that you might depend on instead of depending on Christ, Paul says, forget it. These are the hindrances that Hebrews 12.1 tells us to lay aside so we can run our race. Paul says, forget these things so that we can pursue Jesus. Our Christian walk requires a singular focus, knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, depending on Jesus. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. He becomes our singular focus. He becomes our all-consuming prize and goal. And so Paul exhorts us to forget anything that would distract us from knowing Jesus and pursuing him. Pursue as your goal the prized, promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're in Christ, this prize is yours. We're not pursuing it because, oh, maybe I'll get it, maybe I won't, so i got to run really hard. No, it's yours in Christ. And because you are in Christ, we press on to reach it. We run because Christ has made us our own. We passionately pursue the prize because victory is a sure thing. 
First and Second Thessalonians help give us a picture of this prize and call. First Thessalonians 2.12, Paul says, We encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God. That's the pursuit, knowing Jesus, walking worthy of God. I want my life to be evidence, a display of the fact that I am redeemed. That's what it means to walk worthy of God. It doesn't mean, oh, you're good enough. It means I want my life to be congruent with the new creation that I am, to continue to become congruent with the new creation of who I am. I, we implored you to walk worthy. That's that pursuit of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's the call and prize. That's the pursuit, and that's the call. We chase after that call that we have guaranteed for us in Christ. Paul again says in 2 Thessalonians 2.14, He called you, there's that call again, to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The glory of fully knowing Jesus that will be ours in eternity is what we're reaching for. Not because we have to earn it, but because Christ earned it for us. God is calling us to reach for the trophy of victory that Christ won for us. Christ won for us this trophy of victory. Glory for all of eternity. Being able to fully know Jesus and be fully like Jesus. And God's like, here it is. This is yours. Now reach for it. Pursue it with every ounce of passion and energy that you have in the Holy Spirit by God's grace. You chase after that prize because it is yours. It's like a kid's on Christmas. You don't make them earn those gifts. They're, they're, they're theirs. But if your kids run down and they just kind of apathetically like, meh. Like, that's not the point. The point is you want them to run down the stairs and tear into those presents and enjoy the gift that you have given them. That's what God is calling us to. We live our lives looking forward to that day, spending ourselves in pursuit of Christ. Our goal is the promised prize, full knowledge of Jesus and full likeness of him. That is what we pursue because that's what's been promised. In verse 14, the word in verse 14 for pursue, it means to run or press on. It means to seek eagerly after. When Paul says, I am reaching forward for what is ahead, you get the mental picture of a running who's leaning in. This isn't like a, a, a leisure stroll. This is like chariots of fire status. <laughs> in the summer of, two, uh, in the 2008 Summer Olympics, I, I remember there was a story um, that came out that summer in Beijing, China. You'll probably remember this. Michael Phelps was on his way to winning more Olympic gold medals than any other Olympian in history. And he wasn't just winning medals. If you remember, he was like smashing and setting world records. He flew past this competition. He is without one of the best swimmers, probably one of the best Olympians the world had ever seen. However, in the 100-meter butterfly that summer, the scenario was a little bit different. Michael Phelps is smashing records, but in that 100-meter butterfly, it looked like he was going to get silver. Serbia's Miller Radchavic was in the lead. He was going to win the gold. And just as the race was being finished, it looked like Phelps was going to have to settle for silver. Chavik, thinking he had the win in hand, rode his momentum and glided to the finish. However, that was his undoing. Instead of riding his momentum and gliding in to take silver, Michael Phelps, in that final second, literally took one extra stroke, and in doing so, he beat his Serbian opponent by one hundredth of a second. That's the passion and the zeal and the pursuit that we are being called to. There's no resting. There's no gliding. There's no riding momentum. There's no like, wow, God did a great thing last week, so maybe I can cruise this week. No, there's no cruising. There's just this passionate pursuit, this zeal that says, I'm so in love with Jesus. He has done so much for me. I can't help 
but dedicate every ounce of strength in pursuing my Savior. Again, the phrase apathetic Christian should be a contradiction in terms. We are called to live full tilt for the glory of God, which means pursuing Jesus. It means walking worthy of the gospel. It means growing closer and closer to him. It means living a life of obedience. Whatever phrase you want to use for the Christian life, it means we go at it full tilt with all that we are. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been seasons of my life where a sermon like I'm preaching right now would have sounded flat out exhausting. Like full tilt, Pastor Nick, I'm tired. I'm weary. I just want to take a break. Cruising for a bit sounds kind of nice. But while we are called to passionately pursue Jesus, what I want to remind us is, what I want to remind us of is we're not called to do that in our own strength. So as you see me up here spitting and screaming about passionately following Jesus, there's nothing in me that means or wants you to take that as you got to do this on your own. We're not called to do this on our own strength. God is the one who supports and strengthens us to live this way through his Holy Spirit. Consider 1 Peter 5.10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. There's the call again. There's the goal again. That's what we're pursuing. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory. It's amazing how this is all over scripture. Like you read one verse, you're like, oh man, I wonder what that is. And then you start studying. You're like, man, this is all over the place. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. God's like, yeah, you go after Jesus with everything that you have, but I am the one who enables you to do that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul says, yes, I work harder than anybody. I out-pursue anybody, but it's not me. It's not my strength. Paul told us earlier in Philippians, I've been there and it's nothing. It's repulsive to try to do this in your own strength. But it's the grace of God that was with me. None of us have the energy or the power or the strength to pursue Jesus in our own, the way we see in these verses, apart from the energizing work of God's grace. But guys, as Christians, our lives are not meant to work apart from God's grace. So if you're sitting here and you think that's impossible, that's the point. Our Christian lives are not meant to work apart from a miracle of grace. Because if we can figure it all out, if we can do it in our own strength, why did Jesus have to die? No, God calls us into something that is impossible, that makes no sense, apart from grace, apart from the enabling work of the Holy Spirit. So, it's appropriate, as we are considering these three verses, to ask ourselves a few questions. Am I passionately pursuing Jesus? That's a question I want to challenge us with, church. Are you passionately pursuing Jesus? Am I passionately pursuing Jesus? Am I reaching for it? Am I making every effort? Am I passionately pursuing him or am I coasting? Have I allowed myself to get sidetracked? Is knowing Jesus my singular focus? Or are there some things that I need to forget? 
maybe there's some hurt that you need to pursue healing in, and your pursuit of Christ is going to be a pursuit of healing for a season. What distractions in my life do I need to forget? It might just be that you're so full on social media, you're so distracted. You don't have a singular focus because you have so many other inputs, so many other forms of media or intakes, mental intakes, emotional intakes that you've kind of crowded out a desire to pursue Jesus. And so maybe the question for you might be, what change, what one change can I make so that I can pursue what is most important? Is making money more important than following Jesus? Is the latest movie more important than following Jesus? Is your hobby? Is your job? Is sport? Like, what? What? What is it for you? What is a distraction that you need to forget? What one change can I make to pursue what is most important? Those are good questions to ask. I think we should ask those questions in prayer. Holy Spirit, answer these questions for me. Because my, 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 my heart is prone to cut myself some slack <laughs> when maybe I shouldn't. So ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, here's, here's these questions, answer them for me. But when you're working through those questions, don't forget your utter dependence on the Holy Spirit of God and the awesome, empowering gift of his grace. Yes, ask those questions. Yes, make those changes. But as you do that, remember, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. We saw last week, that means we have his resurrection power. You're not left to do this alone. You don't have to pursue Jesus in your own strength. So this shouldn't be exhausting. This should be exhilarating. And if you find yourself, man, this just sounds exhausting, then pray, confess, Lord, if I'm exhausted, that means I'm doing this in my own strength because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So Holy Spirit, help me to, in the spirit of the first half of Philippians 3, forget whatever it is that I'm putting my dependence on and trust in the power of your Holy Spirit. Church, let's not consider ourselves to have arrived, but do one thing. Forget what's left behind and reach forward to what is ahead. The prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are so good. And we are in such desperate need. Lord, I pray that as we leave here this morning, your Holy Spirit would just take these truths, sink them into our hearts, Lord. I think of Psalm 119, 33 and 34. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Lord, we spent some time this morning studying your word. I pray that your spirit would take the word that we have studied, bring them home to our hearts so that we can keep them. Lord, help us understand your instruction, and we will obey it and follow it with all of our